Let's read together from God's Word. We're reading from Matthew's Gospel, Matthew's account of our Lord's Sermon on the Mount. And we'll read the first 16 verses. Matthew chapter 5, Matthew 5 and the first 16 verses. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the light of the earth, but if so you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people's light, light, people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they might see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. This is God's Word. Let's pray a blessing upon the Word of God this morning. Almighty God, our loving Heavenly Father, it is always our joy, our privilege to gather around the Word of God, to do that together as a, as a body of God's people. As we come around these Scriptures, very, very familiar Scriptures, this particular beatitude, familiar to us. Lord, open your word to us afresh, we pray. Might we glean something new, perhaps something we've never seen before, such as the wonder of the word of God, old and yet ever new. It speaks into our hearts and lives. We long to hear what the Spirit is saying to this church on this occasion through these scriptures in the name of Jesus. Amen. So our beatitude in this current series this morning is, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Friends, you don't need me to tell you that words do not exist in isolation. Rather, they exist in the background of experience and thought. This is true, of course, of all biblical interpretation. That's why we preachers talk about the importance of context. When dealing with the text, the Word of God, we must remember that a text out of context very quickly can, be, can become a pretext. And this is why we must consider Jesus' words spoken here about hunger and thirst within the context and climate of which Jesus spoke them. Now, of course, it takes far more than a dictionary to define the meaning of a word. 
especially when that word is a word of human experience. When a word is a word of human experience, then the experience of the person who uses it and the experience of the person who hears it will all contribute to its definition. Wouldn't you agree? By way of example, the word pain would mean something very different to a person who has never had a day's illness in their lives than it will to someone who has suffered perhaps terribly from arthritic pain for years. Equally, the word love will mean something very different to a child of ten than it would to an old man in his twilight years of life. And so it is with this beatitude that speaks about the blessedness of the starving soul. This beatitude would mean something very different to the audience, the congregation in our Lord's day than it does to you and I, a 21st century congregation who enjoys all the plenty which social and economic development have brought. Let's be absolutely honest with each other. There are few in 21st century Britain who have ever known what it is like to genuinely be hungry and genuinely thirst. Wouldn't you agree? But in the Lord's day, the average wage of a working man would be an equivalent of eight pence a day. No one ever grew fat on that, did they? And if, for whatever reason, the average working man could, could, could go without a day without, without employment, then actually hunger would invade the home quickly. For a family to eat meat in our Lord's day was a rare experience. And water, of course, was a precious commodity. Thirst would have been a common experience. Today, in early 21st century Britain, we are far removed from this type of hunger and this type of thirst. And therefore, arguably, we are going to struggle this morning to fully understand what our Lord was endeavoring to communicate in this fourth beatitude. What Jesus is saying here, this is my paraphrase, is blessed is the man who longs for righteousness as a starving man longs for food. Blessed is the man who longs for righteousness as a perishing man thirsts for water. This beatitude is speaking to us of at least four things. Very quickly, four things. Firstly, it uncompromisingly lays down the demand of the Christian life. William Barclay says this is the most demanding of the beatitudes. It insists that the Christian life is not for the dilettante, um, dilettante, not for the, the dabbler, not for the amateur. It is not even, he says, for the interested and for the attracted. No, he says, the Christian life is for those who desire righteousness as a matter of life or death. I wonder, I whether whether we are numbered amongst those this morning, do we desire righteousness as a matter of life or death? The tense used in the Greek here is that uh, indicative. It's the present continuous tense. 
And so it's speaking of those who not only hunger and thirst for righteousness today, but those who go on hungering and those who go on thirsting after righteousness. Now, of course, this is a metaphor that the psalmist and the prophets used to describe, to indicate something of the longing of the soul for God. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 42. As the deer panteth for streams of living water, so my soul panteth after thee, O my God. Psalm 63 verse 1, the psalmist says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Isaiah, the prophet in Isaiah 55 verse 1 says, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. The psalmist David was a hunter in his younger days. I've used this illustration before. I don't apologize by using it again. And perhaps when he wrote Psalm 42, he had a picture in his mind of one of his hunts as he sought the kill of a, of a deer, a young heart, a deer. And maybe hunting on an intensely hot day, the young deer had been shot through with arrows, but had not yet dropped. But now exhausted, perhaps backed into a corner, the hunter David homes in on the kill. Arrow ready. But as he begins, anticipates firing that final shot, perhaps, just perhaps, the young heart glances up towards the hunter and the young heart's eye catches the hunter's eye. And with a plaintive cry, shouts, thirst, and then drops down dead. As the deer panteth for streams of living water. David reflected later, so my soul panteth after thee. Are we thirsty for God like that? Now, we're talking about an intensity of desire that is, in fact, I believe, desperation. Hunger and thirst, of course, from a physical perspective, are not passing feelings. I ate my breakfast a little early today. It was shredded meat in my case. And uh, I, I drank my cup of tea earlier today. But I can guarantee you, when I get home... I will be hungry and thirsty again. And so I'll have my lunch. But I'll guarantee you that subsequent to my lunch, maybe tonight at supper, I'll be hungry and thirsty again. So should it be for the child of God. I'm hungry and thirsty for God this morning. And I'll be hungry and thirsty for God tomorrow morning. J.N. Darby, the founder of the Plymouth Brethren, expresses the thought when he says, I quote, to be hungry is not enough. I must be really starving to know what is in God's heart for me. He went on, when the prodigal son was hungry, he went to feed upon husks, pig's food. But when he was starving, he turned to his father 
Laura alluded to it earlier. I'm convinced of it. Evangelicals today are living on, on husks, pig's food. Friends, it's time we turn to our Father with a hunger and with a thirst that is in fact desperation. Desperation. I'm desperate for you, God. I remember that contemporary chorus first coming out a few years ago now. I'm desperate for you. You know it? I remember it coming out because my uh, eldest daughter Tina was singing it in the in the shower as as as, as she did. And uh, when she came out of the shower, I said to her, "Tina, are you really?" What do you mean, Dad? What do you mean? Stoppy teenager at the time she was. I said, are you really? What do you mean, Dad? I said, well, you've just been singing. You're desperate for God. Are you really? Oh, don't be stupid, Dad. It's just, it's just something we sing. Uh-uh. It's just something we sing. Oh, my. But isn't that the truth of it? We sing some amazing words at times. But are they genuine expressions of our hearts or just something we sing? We like the tune. The psalmist says, I'm desperate for God. Like that young heart shot through with arrows, just about to drop dead, was desperate for water. Friends, the Christian does not say, I am interested in Christ. The Christian says with the Apostle Paul in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ. The Christian does not say, I would like to come to terms with Christ. I would like to come to some arrangement with Jesus. The Christian says, I surrender all to Jesus. This beatitude uncompromisingly lays down the demand of the Christian life. My friends this morning, in love and using my words guardedly, please understand, the Christian life is not for the dabbler. It's not for the dilettante. If we're messing about with Jesus, the Christian life is not for you or for me. It is for those who hunger and thirst after Jesus as if it were a matter of life or death. Secondly, by implication, this beatitude lays down the main cause of failure in the Christian life. And quite simply, the main cause of failure in the Christian life is that we do not sufficiently desire Jesus. (laughs) We do not sufficiently desire to be a Christian. William Barclay says the great barrier to our becoming fully Christian is our failure to desire it enough. Our deep-rooted unwillingness to pay the price of it. Our fundamental desire not to upset life, but to keep it as it is. It was my privilege to sit under the ministry of Dr. Stephen Alford on a number of occasions. And on one occasion, he was speaking at the Faith Mission Centenary Celebrations in Edinburgh in 1986. And he was preaching on this text. And he said, I I wrote it down as I often write notes. We're getting out of the habit of writing notes, aren't we? I don't know whether it's right, wrong, or indifferent, really. 
I suppose we record the messages these days, don't we? It makes it easy for us. Uh, and he says this, hunger and thirst are an evidence of health. A sick person has no appetite, but where there is true health, there's an insatiable desire and hunger. I thought, he's right, isn't he? A sick person has no appetite, physically. And equally in the spiritual realm, a spiritually sick Christian has no appetite. But if we are healthy... (laughs) Then we hunger and thirst after Jesus. And so, by implication, the main cause of failure in your Christian life, in mine, is we don't sufficiently desire Jesus. And many Christians, certainly as as we perhaps grow cold or, or fall away, we can kind of do without Jesus from one Sunday to the next. Pack it all in on a Sunday. And then from for the next six days, we can kind of, kind of get by, really. Well, we think we can. But we're not. The greatest barrier to the full entry into the Christian life is nothing other, I believe, than the malady of not wanting. And this is what this beatitude lays down. My friends, how much do you want Jesus? How much do you want him? Or can you kind of get by? From Sunday to Sunday, you kind of get by. Slippery slope. Now, I don't like the expression backslidden, but I understand, I understand the sentiment. We fall away from Jesus. That living, vibrant relationship that we once so enjoyed becomes distant, disjointed. Thirdly, we have already said that this is the most demanding of the Beatitudes. But praise God, this morning is also, I believe, the kindest and most encouraging of the Beatitudes. Because this is the Beatitude that tells us of God's sympathy for the struggler along the Christian way. Notice, friends, that this blessing is not promised for those who have attained righteousness. It's promised for those who are hungering and thirsting after it. Hallelujah. Isn't that reassuring? Because if this blessing was for those of us who had attained righteousness, I have news for you. It would be for none of us. His blessing is for those who are hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Thomas the Kemper says, man sees the, sees the deed, but God sees the intention. One of my favorite Old Testament stories is when King David had it in his heart to build a temple for God in the holy city of Jerusalem. And why wouldn't he? He was the king of God's people, Israel. He wanted to bring the, the worship of God into the center of, of the holy city, into the center of God's people, and erect a wonderful temple for that purpose. But God said, David, you're not the man to build the temple. David was a warrior, of course. He had blood in his hands. David, you're not the man to build the temple. Your son Solomon, he'll build the temple. But it says this in 1 Kings 8.18. But because you had it in your heart to build the temple for my name, you did well. 
Hallelujah. My friends, this blessing is promised this morning, not for those who have attained righteousness, because it's for none of us if that's the case. It is for those who have it in their heart. What's in your heart? You might tell me one thing, and why would I doubt you? But you see, God searches the innermost recesses of our hearts. He knows what's in your heart, what's in my heart this morning. Am I desperate for Jesus? Fourthly, quickly, it might well be that this beatitude tells us of the totality of Christian goodness. I don't want to bore you with Greek grammar, but there is in this beatitude a grammatical point that I believe is of significant importance. In classical Greek, the, fer- the verbs of hungering and thirsting normally take the genitive case and so are followed by a preposition of. I hunger for a piece of bread. I thirst for a drink of water. But here, the writer decides to to break with grammatical rule and regulation, and the hungering and thirsting are in the accusative case. And so what, what we're hungering and thirsting for is not for a piece of righteousness, but it's for righteousness in its totality. Woohoo! Isn't that something? Hungering and thirsting, not for a piece of Jesus. I'm not content with that. I want Jesus in his totality. Of course, in the final analysis, this is the totality of all that there is in Jesus. You say, well, surely I can't have that. Yes, you can. Paul writes to the Colossians in Colossians 2 verse 7, I think, that in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ. Isn't that something? The sad thing is, we become so easily content with a little bit, don't we? We step our toe into the spiritual waters, don't we? Ooh, that's nice. That's lovely. And if we have a little bit more faith, we'll put our foot in. That's refreshing. And maybe even up to the knees, go for a little paddle in in the spiritual waters of Jesus. And then the Lord says, come on, dive in. Hang on a minute, Lord. (laughs) Dive in, but I can't swim. Ah, said the Lord, you don't need to swim. Dive in. And we're afraid to do so, aren't we? Afraid of the unknown, perhaps. Afraid of what other people might think or say or do. Afraid of failure. And we fail to receive all this fullness in Jesus. Because we're content with I suppose, in a sense, God's second best. But here, it's, it's hungering and thirsting for righteousness in its totality. That is hungering and thirsting for all that is in Jesus Christ. And there's a promise. <laughs> if we so hunger and thirst with this insatiability of desire this morning that is in fact desperation of soul there's a promise I love scripture don't you so full of promises you can't avoid them (laughs) why would we want to avoid them and the promise is for you they they will be filled now usually in, in New Testament Greek the word for filled is pleroma this word is a is a different word altogether. It's quite an extraordinary word. 
Uh, it comes ostensibly from classical Greek, what it meant for the fattening of an animal for killing. But it became also used of people, meaning to be fed till you were absolutely stuffed. <laughs> I'm looking around for stuffed Christians. Any stuffed Christians? You know what I mean. You know when you go for a meal. I've used this analogy before. I'll use it again. You go for a meal. And you have the first course of starter. It's lovely. It's nice. Sort of gets you going. Gets the old appetite going, doesn't it? The digestive juices swirling around the tummy. And then you have the main course. Right? It's a big main course. And you tuck in and you devour the main course. Now, after a starter and after a main course, you're full. You're full. Be honest. But then the dessert menu comes around, doesn't it? You promised yourself you wouldn't have dessert, but the dessert menu comes around and there's sticky toffee pudding or, or a caramel apple betty or something. Oh. And you have your dessert. Now, you were full before the dessert. So what are you after the dessert? Stuffed. That's this word. You've got it, haven't you? That's this word. You are absolutely stuffed, replete. So much so you can barely stand. And then somehow you, you find room for, for, for coffee, for, for coffee and, and mints. That's what, this, that's what Jesus is promising. If you hunger and thirst for Jesus, with an insatiability of desire that is in fact desperation, then Jesus says, I will fill you until you are saved. Stuffed. Hallelujah. I'm looking around for stuffed Christians. You know, more often than not, I look at the Christian church in the UK and I see starving Christians. Whose fault's that? Whose fault's that? Is that God's fault? Is he, has he not been true to his word? Of course not. You see, we don't sufficiently hunger and thirst after Jesus. There's another side to this, this filling, to being stuffed. It communicates more than just being stuffed. It communicates something of a freshness. It's a curious word. There's a distinction between the fullness of satisfaction, it seems here, and the freshness of satisfaction. I would like to think that we, every one of us in Christ here this morning, can think back to a time in our Christian lives when we have been full of Jesus. The challenge is, is it fresh? Is it fresh? How fresh is your fullness? The story goes of an old woman who had a terrific testimony concerning what God had done in her life years before. She and her husband would have a regular house meeting in the home and the brethren would gather together and on this particular occasion the brethren gathered together in the house meeting but there were some guests also there enjoying that uh, gathering of Christians. And so the husband turned to the wife and says, Dear, why don't you share your testimony? Wonderful testimony. Oh, she says, hang on a minute. And she rushed upstairs. And they heard banging and knocking and rooting around. And all of a sudden she came down and said, I'm sorry, <laughs> the rats have got it. 
think about it. Oh, we've got great testimonies. But the rats have got it. It's not fresh. Oh, we can remember blessed times of what God has done. Wonderful times. But what about today? The 19th of March 2017. What about this morning? How fresh is your filling? You remember the children of Israel in the wilderness were wonderfully provided for by Yahweh the God. Every day there was a fresh supply. But what happened to that supply of manna when they tried to store it up for the following days? It went moldy. My friends, I'm not suggesting that you are moldy Christians, but I'm sorry, but there are many Christians within the confines of the Christian church who have endeavored in their foolishness to store up what was wonderful for today. It's gone moldy. The rats have got it. And Jesus says, oh, if only you will hunger and thirst for a fresh supply. With a passion and with an insatiability of desire that is in fact desperation. And I will fail you. One of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 85. I love it. You know it well. I first learned this in the authorized version. The first few verses in the authorized version of Psalm 85. The psalmist reflects upon what God has done. He says, thou hast restored the fortunes of uh, 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 of your land. Thou hast before restored the fortunes of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of your people. Thou hast covered all their sins. Thou hast set aside your wrath. All past tense, notice. All past tense. And his prayer, will you not revive us again? Afresh. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Righteousness in its totality. All that there is in Jesus. By the indwelling Holy Spirit with an insatiability of desire that is in fact desperation. It becomes for us a matter of life or death. And the promise is we will be filled to a stuffed afresh. Father, we thank you for these scriptures. Have mercy on us, Father. For oft times we have been content with much less than the fullness of this blessing. Forgive us, Father, for oft times we have not been desperate enough for Jesus. As the chorus writer says, I'm desperate for you, Lord. Oh, Father, make us so desperate. As if it were a matter of life or death, for it is in reality. Make us so desperate. 
in the name of Jesus. Amen.